Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. and welcome back to a new mini season here on Wild Wild Podcast and I'll go into more detail in a minute as to what we're going to attempt to do but first of all I would like to welcome my co-host Rod Barnett. Hello Rod. Hello Adrian, how have you been doing? Yeah it's been, it feels like it's been a little bit long since we did this with the summer and everything. Yeah. Um, and obviously the last episode that I did, you were not in, which I for which I apologize. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I, compl- I completely understand, uh, <laughs> you know, the the, uh, the the chance to interview Matt Blake was uh, was a golden opportunity. And considering how how close you guys live, as opposed to how far away I am, I completely yeah. understand it. I know, although I still ended up just, you know, doing it over the Internet. But um, um, but yeah, so it's been a fun old time and I'm sure you've been as busy as ever. I know you've put out at least 30 episodes of your podcast <laughs> no, um, since no. we last spoke. I do. I do have a couple in the editing bay, but I <laughs> but I do. I got three out in October. I've got two more ready to go out sometime in November, um, including one I'm pretty excited about, about uh, Space 1999. So that's interesting. Nice. Yeah, I love that show. Oh, very good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, busy as ever. And I'm sure you've been cooking up a few more podca- podcasts, commentary tracks and all of that good stuff. Well, no new commentary tracks on the horizon. We've, oh, still, got, oh. we've still got two in the hopper that haven't been released yet, uh, one of which hasn't even been announced yet. So oh, we'll just uh, we'll, we'll see how that we'll see how that goes. The one that hasn't come out yet is for Tombs of the Blind Dead. It'll come out eventually. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, uh, in, you know, who knows, <laughs> who knows when, but yeah, in their own good time. Yeah, good things, good things them. take time, so. Yeah, I heard you, I was listening to your podcast episode on Evil Speak. Oh, yeah. Um, which is a film I've never seen, but the poster has always amused me, um, you know, with uh, with little Clint Howard uh, <laughs> in a horror film. Um, uh, he's, if if you can and, re- retain that amusement as you watch the film, you yeah, you will you will survive. Yes. Yeah, 
because um, I always think of him as Gentle Ben, of course. Although, yeah. you know, not actually Gentle Ben because that was the bear. But the kid in Gentle Ben, whatever his name was, nobody remembers his name. Um, just the bear. But uh, but anyway, you mentioned me. I got name checked, which I was quite pleased about. Because um, you got for some reason, you guys got talking about cannibal films. I think it's because you were discussing Video Nasties. Oh, yeah. And uh, so you mentioned the the very first time I think I appeared on your podcast was to talk about Cannibal Holocaust. And then you started talking about, you know, people who like cannibal films should be avoided. Uh, <laughs> and I just wanted to mention that in the next episode, uh, the next issue of Scream magazine, that's the American Scream with a double E, not the British Scream. Um, there will be a full, I don't know, two or three page article by me on cannibal films. So where I, uh, I attempt to to try and explain and perhaps slightly justify the Italian the Italian cannibal cycle. So, so maybe I'm one of those friends that people have to avoid. I don't know. No, not necessarily. I think you're you you have a you have a way of coming at it that uh, that explains and uh, shall we say elucidates why you would be interested in these things. Don't get me wrong. I'm one of those people who's interested in them as well. I, I'm tarring myself with that same brush. But uh, the, uh, the, the thing that I would be more concerned about are those people, and there are a few of them who, who seem uh, content to watch and rewatch things like Cannibal Holocaust or Cannibal Ferox uh, on some kind mm. of ridiculous endless loop as if that is the most entertaining <laughs> thing in the world. And it's like, you know, this speaks more to you than it does to the filmmakers, mm. I think. So. Yeah, I mean, writing that article, I mean, maybe one day we'll fit in a couple, but I'm not sure we'll do a whole season. But I do think they're, I do think they're <laughs> interesting. They're very interesting films. I just think the more interesting ones are the ones that have something, um, something slightly elevated to say. I mean, they're essentially trying. You know, they're they're not skimping on the, um, the horrors of what they're presenting or the the more mm. ridiculous, over the top exploitation gore elements. But they're they're also not just throwing it at the camera and then going home for dinner. They're, you know, they're trying to, to have something behind what they're doing as opposed to just, uh, you know, uh, churning, churning out something ridiculous so that the masses will you know, throw money at them. Those are the, the, there, there are a number of cannibal films that are uh, worthy of actual study. Now, speaking of churning out ridiculous things to make money, that brings us nicely to our um, new mini season. <laughs> this is um, true. This is very true. Yeah. So what I decided, I thought it would be fun to to just really um, perhaps just over the next three episodes, we're going to talk about the the films that are, they've got a various various different names, but the one I think we'll go with is Decamerotica or Decamerotici. Uh, but basically, when um, when Pasolini made his trilogy of life in the early nineteen seventies with Il Decameron and then the Canterbury Tales and Arabian Nights. Um, the, the Decameron, which came out in 1971, inspired dozens of um, Italian filmmakers to produce their own versions of stories uh, from Decameron. Um, basically, as an excuse, because I don't know, have you ever, did, you, did you ever see Pasolini's Decameron? Uh, it, it was years and years ago as part of yeah. a kind of a, a long-term attempt to survey most of the things that were considered uh, uh, Italian art films 
So uh, I knew exactly what it was when I went into it. And I think I actually saw Canterbury Tales first. Right. Um, for whatever for whatever reason, probably just what I could get my hands on. So I'm well aware of what uh, the Decameron was. My my uh, my uh, feelings about the the this subgenre are are odd and uh, intricate, but we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. So the, there are lots of films that came out in the immediate aftermath of Decameron because basically Decameron was public domain, although um, Pasolini did try and take. Um, one of the, I think it was, there was a film called More Decameron or Decameron Again or something like the Decameron 2. And he tried to take them to court for plagiarism, but basically it just didn't stand because this is all based on a book from the 1300s. Yeah, I know. And I mean, so, how, how do you say something that's 600 yeah. years old is not, you know, I mean, you, anybody can mine that for, for film, yep. I mean. And, and they did and uh, <laughs> he was not very he was not very happy about it so anyway but I, so then more films came after canterbury tales there's a lot of films based on that and also arabian nights so what i thought we would do over the next three episodes is just take this opportunity to talk about some of those movies this is another you know, we're, what i'm trying to do with this podcast is sort of um highlight some genres that don't always get a lot of attention and i think these films in particular there's very little written about them um, that i can find anyway yeah. and and indeed many of the films are not available to watch in english so maybe that's why there's not a lot been written about them but um but you know but they were a very popular cycle and they annoyed the hell out of pasolini um <laughs> To, but we, which we can perhaps talk more about over the next couple of episodes. Yeah. So it, anyway, it, so it I, does appear to have really embittered him that. Yeah. You know. His, well, you it's know. one thing that I did read. Um, basically, credits his disappointment at what happened, um, driving him to make Salo. And so that film, Salo or Salo, I don't know, Salo. Um, <laughs> one, one or the other. We all yeah. know what film he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So re- that film and the anger that he is showing in that movie is fueled in part by his annoyance at what happened because of his trilogy of life. So <laughs> it's kind of a shame. But uh, but anyway, so I went out and did a lot of research to try and find a film that we could talk about that was based on the Decameron. Mm -hmm. And I managed to find some that sounded potentially interesting. And then I had to narrow it down basically to the only one that I could find that had English subtitles. So we could both actually manage to understand it. I know our our um, hunt for subtitled versions of these films was maddening. Yeah, it was a shame because there are some that are quite intriguing looking, Um, one of which I can talk a little bit about. But anyway, so the film that we did decide to talk about is called Ubalda, also known as Ubalda All Naked and Warm. Um, The actual Italian title, I'll have a go, Mm -hmm. is Quel Gran Pezzo della Ubalda Tutta Nuda e Tutta Calda, which roughly translates as um, this it's like this piece of Ubalda or this, it's really weird. It's that like this, yeah. this piece of Ubalda or this chunk of Ubalda, <laughs> all, all naked and all warm. It doesn't quite I was about translate. To say, it sounds very much very as well. If, uh, it sounds like it's a, it's a phrase in Italian. That, yeah. Sure. Uh, it makes sense. 
that it's something like you know that that this big large piece, piece of Ubalda, of Ubalda all <laughs> naked and hot, and it's like you know yeah. why, why are we? What, it, it's got to be mm. it's got to be something very very intrinsic to the Italian language yeah. that we're just never going to get. Yeah. So no, it's an odd it's an odd uh, one. So um, so that's the one we picked, and and we'll go through that in a moment. So I just wanted to quickly give a very brief background on the Decameron. So it's um, the author is Giovanni Boccaccio. Uh, so he's a 14th century Italian author. The stories were apparently were all written and based around, they're written in and based around Florence, um, which is interesting because Pasolini, when he made his film, he adapted the stories but set them mostly in the south um, of, of Italy, around Naples. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently that was because he wanted to use the film to highlight the poverty and the sort of working classes and so on. And, and in, in Italy, it's the South that is poor, um, whereas Florence is quite wealthy. So um, so he sort of adapted it to be more relevant to modern day Italy. But I think what's really interesting with Pasolini's film is when you watch it, it feels like he actually went back in time. Like he somehow got cameras back to the 1300s. The film is so extraordinary looking. Mm-hmm. It's the closest... I mean, it almost, it's a bit like um, Monty Python's Holy Grail in in the way that they just kept slapping more mud onto everything, you know. <laughs> and, and it kind of feels like that with Decameron. He's managed to make it look so ancient. And the people that he found to be in it, the teeth of some of those men in that film yeah. are quite extraordinarily bad. And um, I had to keep reminding myself that he was making this film in 1970. But it it genuinely the look of it is it so perfectly captures this kind of feel of something that is what is it seven hundred years old or something. Well, it's I, quite, think, I feel quite as extraordinary. If, and I have nothing to base this on because uh, I, I was looking for something to kind of back up this thought process of mine when thinking about the the Pasolini film. Is it's almost as if he was reacting against uh, the kind of gloss that you would see in. Um, not just Hollywood productions of period pieces, but also the Italian ones as well, where there was this mm. attempt to make things as as uh, pretty and you know kind of shiny and sparkling as you could, because you're you know you're you're essentially you're making you're making cinema, so you're wanting to make it uh, as attractive visually as possible. And his his film very much wasn't uh, seems to to have been like I say I would love to I would love to know the thought process just the 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 the, the attempt to see, to make it look as if we were kind of stepping back in time into the reality of it where mm. you know hygiene was not exactly what we would think no. of it anymore you know mm. it's just there's all this uh, you, you talk about how people looked you know so you have to you know so you take into account you know a hundred plus years of 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 people having access to, you know, something that doesn't feel like somebody yanking your tooth out just because it looks the wrong color. I mean, these are just the way people look, felt, and and probably, you know, as as referenced in some of the stories, smelled. And mm-hmm. there's there was a real attempt by Pasolini to present 
this almost as if you were, you know, stepping back in time, as if there was a, a yeah. kind of semi-documentary uh, stance that he took on how he filmed this stuff. It was, it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's an impressive film on many levels, and yeah. the the attention to detail is way up there, in my opinion, just from mm. a just from a cinematics point of view. Yeah. So the original Decameron has a hundred stories. So it's quite similar. It's kind of like Italy's version of the Arabian Nights mm-hmm. um, in just how many. And they're all quite, obviously, they're quite short stories in this collection. And so um, you can see why once Pasolini opened the floodgates with his film, loads of other scriptwriters then went back to the original Decameron and thought, well, hang on. There's at least another 90 stories in here that we could <laughs> we could do. Um, but also, and interestingly, one of the films that we could talk about today does actually, it, it's a whole feature film based on one of the short stories that's, um, that Pasolini did. But anyway, so one of the first films that was really successful to come out of the uh, Decameratici genre was our film for today, Ubalda which came out not that long after Decameron um, and stars the Queen of Giallo. But in, in Italy, she was better known as the Queen of Comedy, Edwidge Fenech. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing you're a fan. Of uh, I, I, yes. Oh, my, my goodness, yes. I've been a fan of Miss Fenech for um, decades at this point, simply because, of course, being the, the, the genre nutcase that I am, of course, I came to her because of the, the Giallo films that she was mm. in. I mean, there's almost no way to uh, avoid her if you start going through those movies. I mean, Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward and All the Colors of the Dark and Your Vice is a Locked Room. I mean, we're talking yeah. about film after film after film where um, you're, you're, you're going to see this woman and uh, you're going to kind of marvel at her. I mean, uh, Five Dollars for an August Moon is another good touchstone. Oh, I love that one. And Case of the Bloody Iris um, is one that uh, I'm a big fan of. And of course, it, you know, once you start, once you start delving into uh, the work that she was doing there in the '70s, first of all, if you're if you're at all uh, aware of her, you're aware of how physically beautiful she was and how inc- obviously willing she was to you know just walk around without any clothing on whatsoever uh which of course is a a, a big plus to producers <laughs> during yeah. during that period and of course it helped that her her boyfriend at the time her her uh the man in her life was a an italian film producer so uh, who, who did not mind that his 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 sweetheart was you know nude in front of you know literally millions of people yeah but I am aware, I did become aware pretty quickly that she was better known in her home country for starring in a lot of comedies. And so yeah. uh, I did uh, dip my toes into those just because I'm like, well, you know, hey, it's uh, it's a chance to see, you know, more of her, quote unquote, yeah. more of how, her. How bad can it be? <laughs> exactly. How bad can it be? And I quickly took my toe right back out of that scalding uh-huh. water and, and moved forward until now. So. So this was one you hadn't seen before? Then. No, no, no. Until uh, until you proposed doing this, I had not seen this movie. And uh, it reminds me of all of the good and the bad things uh, about a, 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 a Finnish starring um, Italian comedy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. So so she's the... Um, although she, there are, there's long periods where she is not in it, um, which is a shame. So the, the, film, the main focus of the film... It's set during the Middle Ages. 
there's an it's a there's a knight who is coming back from the the wars we're not entirely sure just some wars who knows which ones he's coming back to his home to his wife and he is olympio uh played by a an italian comedy actor comedic actor called pipo franco mm-hmm who I did look at. I mean, I've looked at the lists of him and some of the other people in this film. He I've made never a heard lot of, of comedies. Yeah. I've a never lot. heard of any of them. Not uh, a thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but apparently he was he was, he was was quite the star in this particular yeah. genre. Yeah. And you can see why he is pretty funny. Yeah, he, he's, um, he's a good comedic actor. He yeah. is, uh, he's got he's a got persona on screen that works very effectively for this mm-hmm. stuff. And he is next door neighbors with the uh, the miller of the village. Um, called um, Odorisi mm-hmm. and uh, now I recognise this guy Umberto Dorsey I was trying to think where I where I recognised him from and it's because he has a brief appearance in um, is it A Quiet Place to Kill which is the one I always get those ones mixed up it's um, I think it's A Quiet Place to Kill the one where the young couple are selling porn to fuel their holiday around Italy Oh, do you remember? Oh, uh, Oasis, also known as Oasis of Fear. Oh, yes, it's, yes, yes. Okay, I know what you you're know, talking about. Yes. With um, with Ornella Muti and and Ray Lovelock. Anyway, he's in that as one of the um, people that she entices to then buy magazines off her. So I sort of recognised him. I was like, where have I seen him before? And then it, I had to look through. But nothing else. That, I, mean, I didn't recognise anything else. Well, I mean, um, he is one of those guys who turned up in a lot of different, yeah, a lot of sure. different movies. Yeah. So Olympia is actually married to a beautiful blonde woman called Fiamma. And um, to keep her safe during his crusades, he left her at home with a chastity belt. Uh, And she's played by Karen Schubert, who I think was German. Yeah. And again, lots of films that I don't recognize. But well, except for she started to get into things like the Black Emmanuel films. True. And... And then I read somewhere that she basically got into porn eventually. So, um, wow, really? There's, yeah, there's one on her list called "Erotic Adventures of Little Red Riding Hood," which where she plays the grandma. So I don't know. Interesting. I, don't think, I, I mean, don't I knew her. She's in the. Uh, she's in the, the same year she made this, or the same year this film came out. She was in uh, the Richard Burton uh, Bluebeard film. Oh yeah. And I and I knew her from that, and I'd yeah. also seen her in. Uh, uh, the girl in room 2a yes and uh the, well several several of the emmanuel films uh, mm-hmm. just because I, I i did a survey of those a, a long while back and of so course. yeah purely for academic purposes uh, uh no it was because <laughs> there were box sets sitting in front of me and i went okay cool oh, oh yeah fair enough so she's uh very attractive and he is desperate to get in the sack with her after his long campaign but on his way home he meets a monk so um, I, I should also say, first of all, I don't think there are any knights in the Decameron film. So they've taken the inspiration from Decameron quite loosely here. Yeah. There's no sort of knights and there's definitely no chastity belts uh, <laughs> in the Decameron. And this film also looks like a movie, you know, whereas Decameron looks like they took cameras back 700 years. 
this one looks more much more like a film do you know what i mean yeah yeah this is uh this is a this, this is cleaner it's well not just that it's also just beautifully photographed there are some sequences yeah. that we'll probably discuss that are uh cinematically just gorgeous i mean the, they're they're mm. beautiful looking sequences and they're very much <laughs> in the in the vein of There's... making things as gorgeous as possible yeah yeah so any any sequence in particular you had in mind there? Uh, we'll, we'll get to it. It it, it, it okay. involves slow motion. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we've got to be careful with this because nobody wants to listen to a podcast of two middle aged men <laughs> just going on about Edwidge Fenech in the news. We, we we don't but want to give the listener the the. the we've got to be uh, careful how we yeah. do this. We don't want to give them the creeps or the fear that we're you know possibly doing something we shouldn't be doing while podcasting. No. Yes. So um, so he's desperate, but she, of course, finds him completely unattractive and she has a much more handsome man in the village. And um, well, she tells she, she him... she has more than just one. Well, yeah. So his wife tells him that she made a, um, a vow to Saint... Oh, what does she say? Not Saint Chastity. Oh, it's close Saint, to that. Saint, Saint Virtue or something like that. Yeah. Um, that she would remain celibate um, for like, a, I don't know, a week when he got home or something, if he came home safe. Some some nonsense that she spins him. Somehow, though, she manages... And there's, there's, a little, there's a lot of business in this film about keys, and I got very <laughs> lost as to who had the chastity belt keys at any one time, because I'm pretty sure somehow she gets the key off him because she's having it away with whoever... Yeah, she's um, she's well, got it. She's got several so she's, different keys. Uh, yeah, you know. she's got the chastity belt off anyway at various points. Um, but meanwhile, he's so frustrated that he can't um, get what he wants from her that he starts to lust after his neighbor's wife, who is of course Ubalda. And let's and, let's just be clear: considering the mm, neighbor's wife is played by Edward Finnick, uh it would be difficult. I mean, even if he were. I, I don't think that it would keep him from casting a, a lustful gaze in that direction. No. So now I should mention we've already we already know what a sleaze bag he is because on his way home <laughs> Oh I know. I met, thought you were gonna I thought you were gonna skip over this. Yeah. I forgot about that. He met a monk and tried to to rob from the monk and the monk clubbed him over the head, which becomes a recurring gag in this movie is getting clubbed over the head. Yeah, concussion, and, um, concussions are a reoccurring theme for this yeah. So so um Olympio they they end up by some barn where there's a woman, and he basically tries to rape her. I know, and it's hideously. I mean, this is typical it's of the time, kind of, but yeah, it's, weird it's treated as a joke. A yeah, but then the monk rescues her by clubbing him over the head again. I think. Yes, but then. <laughs> And then the monk proceeds to... Well, then he's, um, the, the monk sweet talks her into having sex with him. Yeah, he needs to show her what kind of sins to avoid, I think, <laughs> is the justification. It's like, this is a sin. I'm going to show you what it is so that you know not to do it. Yeah, and yeah. Then so they, and, and then we'll do then it again like, after we've yeah. rested so that you're positive that you know what it is. And then again, like the, he's putting his clothes back on and she says, oh, you need to show me again <laughs> something. <laughs> There's, there's a, yeah, he's quite a, uh, quite an interesting monk, um, and the monk will pop up several times in the movie. Yeah. So, um, so Olympio doesn't get it there. He doesn't get it when he gets home, and then meanwhile he's got, having problems with the the miller who has been trying to divert the river from his land to feed his crops, 
So there's this ongoing dispute. And um, so he's going to try and sort it out with the, um, what was his name? Like the... Who, the miller? No, the, the like the wise man of the town or the mayor oh, of the town. Oh, oh, oh. Who yeah. was going to help him. And he suggests, when he explains his sexual frustration to this mayor or whoever he was, um, he basically suggests that he should just use his servant boys because that's what he does. The casual way in which this, yeah. this type of information is, is imparted is hilarious. It, yeah. it's, it's one of those uh, odd asides that reminds you that none of this is to be taken seriously or, or in any way, shape, or form. Mm. And, uh, and also, I mean, you can see why this film could create a cause a lot of offense and oh, will yeah. probably it will probably never get a full blu-ray restoration by somebody like severin or something like that because well, i just think they'd be afraid of the kickback from it i don't know i mean one has to think that surely surely people who would be interested in seeing these movies are aware of their their time and place i mean one has yeah. to one has to one has to know what you're looking at. I mean, it's not as if these movies were made in, in, in 1992 or 2002. These movies were made in the early 70s. The attitudes and the, especially um, in any Catholic society, the attitudes are going to, they're going to be of the time. I mean, they're not, we're, we're not replicating something, um, uh, so, something modern. This is, this, this is, these yeah. things have to be taken as what they so, were. And this yeah. is just, other, to do otherwise is ridiculous in my opinion there but there is you know as well as the sort of accusations of misogyny there is also um yeah casual homophobia sprinkled oh, through of course quite liberally in the film but anyway so but let's not try and get too hung up on that so well because uh, the, fil- the films certainly aren't built to sustain any kind of no, discussion of that with seriousness no not really olympio falls madly in lust with ubalda when he meets her the oh. miller's wife and um, he starts to fantasize about her and try and figure out ways that he can uh, get his wicked way with her. She, of course, also has a chastity belt on, um, but is also somehow still has the key yes. and is having affairs with other people as well. Um, I didn't. There's a. Yeah, it's all very liberal. Um, so it's. It's all, it's all very. So, it's all very. Uh, uh, I don't know how reality based is it, but it's all very, um, very much in the vein of you know n- no nobody nobody's going to stick to these rules and everybody's going to no. pretend that they're sticking to these rules. So, yeah. yeah, and um, so the but so Olympio and Odorisi can't settle their dispute, um, but then Olympio just becomes obsessed with Ubalda, and I think this is where we get to the dream sequence. Yeah. Um, Olympio lying in bed next to his wife who still won't let him near her and he dreams instead of Ubalda now this is the point where the film starts to look like it was shot by Russ Mayer um, <laughs> it, the, I mean the whole film the, the way I described it was like it's a Russ, it's as if Russ Mayer directed a carry on film um, that's not a bad way to put it not necessarily one of the good carry on films either but anyway um but yeah, so then we get to this this kind of extraordinary dream sequence, which goes on for ages. 
it's like they used every single piece of footage they shot yes they, they could yes. they didn't cut a single frame so would you like to describe um, um olympio's dream sequence i will i will be i will be brief it is essentially uh it, olympio imagines himself uh in a beautifully shot uh, beautifully shot countryside area with trees and fields where he comes across the beloved Miss Finnick, uh, his, his, his neighbor's wife. Um, there is a, a fair amount of lust in the eyes. There is uh, some disrobing and there is a, uh, a slow motion chase toward the camera with, with uh, the, young, the young lady uh, in front uh, with all that that would entail. Uh, now imagine mm-hmm. this sequence drawn out as long as you can imagine it, <clears throat> yeah. and uh, then imagine <laughs> it longer because it's in slow motion, and then imagine what this would do to your average male audience member in the year in which it was released, nineteen seventy-two. Yeah. And um, imagine, imagine that this was on a cinema screen. Yes. So this is like thirty foot high or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, maybe not that high. 30 foot wide um but you know this wasn't just on a little computer screen with a file that we had to download off the internet this was <laughs> this was being projected on film it's yeah this was 40 feet high yeah yeah it's quite extraordinary to imagine a mainstream audience going to see a comedy as well well and, and so it's understand a fa- it's like beautifully a shot or, it's yeah. gorgeous it, it is beautifully photographed the cinematography is lovely they clearly spent you know, a long time making sure that this was going to look as beautiful as possible. Plus, oh, I bet they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the because I think sorry, to a large sorry, Edwidge, could you just do that bit again? We just need to do another take. <laughs> well, I mean, just to the point where um, I have seen Edwidge in a lot of movies, and she has she don't get me wrong, she's an extraordinarily beautiful woman. She's an extraordinarily beautiful woman to this day. She's gorgeous, but at during the, her heyday of the seventies. Um, she, this this is one of the most uh, most attractive I have seen her. Her her features are naturally absolutely gorgeous, and there's something about the way they're photographing her, and I'm sure it has something to do with uh, that you know clever clever makeup artists as well, so that she's photographed in the most incredible ways possible. The the, the light looks great. Her eyes are are just they're these that's one that's one of her secrets let's be clear mm-hmm. she has these wonderful large eyes and anything they can do with makeup to draw attention to these gorgeous very expressive eyes um and now it sounds as if i'm talking about something i'm not i am i'm talking about the eyes on her face i swear to god that i am uh okay. not, not something lower <laughs> down uh but the, she ha, she is uh she i mean literally if you're just looking at her from the neck up she is she's just strikingly attractive and they have gone out of their way to make this slow motion sequence uh, this, the, the, the centerpiece that it is for uh, the attention and the memory of anybody who ever sees this movie. Yeah, it's pretty, um, yeah, it's pretty extraordinary sequence. Yeah. And, and I, she's, she is good. You can see why she was used in comedies because she is pretty funny mm-hmm. as well. And um, well, that's just it. We should, we should point out that she's a, she was a very talented woman. Yeah. This is someone whose screen career was not just based on her physical beauty and her no. willingness to disrobe. She's got talent. Yeah. And she's constantly looking very demure 
uh, and you know virginal she's got to protect you know it's all about protecting their honor in those days mm. so she's got that look but then she's also got the kind of side eye towards her lovers and you know she's she's got a lot of she she has to do a lot of expression with not a lot of dialogue some of the times and she yeah. does it very well yeah a lot of, so, a lot of um, physical acting she's very good at so of course um olympio is so struck with this dream that he leaps on top of his wife and twangs against her chastity belt and <laughs> wakes up in pain um and yeah. so he hatches a plan how's he going to get to sleep with ubalda that's his his goal mm-hmm. and so he turns up at Odorisi's house dressed as um, as an artist with the worst blonde wig and stick-on beard you've ever seen. I love the mustache, which is this yeah, bizarre, giant, this blonde, curly-cue thing. Yeah, He's prancing around. He's being very camp and openly uh, gay um, and sort of dropping, giving, giving Odorisi the eye. Uh, whilst explaining that he's been sent by the local nobleman to paint Ubalda. And so this is his plan that he has to paint her naked. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets the chast- he even gets the chastity belt key at this point. And <laughs> so he manages to persuade them that this is all genuine and they go and lock themselves in Ubalda's room. And... Um, he immediately starts kissing her, but then when he pulls back, she's wearing the moustache, which is pretty funny. But that, the, that's um, actually that's actually a good gag, yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't last very long. And the husband who's outside, they've locked the door, but he's outside and he starts to know what's going on. And um, anyway, it all, he he discovers that it's Olympio and he chases him off. I think they all fall out of the window in a kind of comedy fashion. Um, so Olympio is trying to figure out what can he do, what can he do? And then he meets the monk and the monk helps him to hatch a plan in between um, teaching somebody else the lessons of love, I think, um, and sin. Uh, he helps Olympio with a plan and it basically involves using the real artist that he just pretended to be and persuading that artist that he has to go and ask to paint Ubalda. So of course he does and Odorisi thinks it's Olympia again and beats him up. But this gets him into trouble with the real uh, local lord, whatever his name was. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and he ends up swinging in a cage outside the castle um, and he's really mad because he knows that he was set up by Olympio. So he's going to get his revenge. He eventually manages to get out and he decides that what he's going to do to get his revenge is oh no wait I'm missing a bit. I think whilst he is in whilst Odorisi is in prison, still, Olympio. What does he do? He oh, comes well, they they, to the they house. both they end up in the cesspit together. Oh yeah, but I'm trying to remember how he gets there. So Obalda uh, is in bed with her lover, and they think they hear her husband coming home. So her lover leaps under the bed, but it's actually Olympio coming up the stairs, um, hoping to to get some time with Ubalda whilst her husband's away in prison. So um, the the lover jumps out and and basically should have killed him. He whacks Olympio over the head with a mace, a spiked mace. There is yes. blood. There yeah, is and blood. they think and they think he's dead. Think he's, yeah. So they dump his body in a cesspit, which is this incidentally is a li- there's a little bit of a reference there to the original Decameron. There is a sequence in Decameron where somebody falls into a cesspit 
Um, so Olympio is dead. His suit of armor is on the floor in her bedroom. Mm-hmm. And then meanwhile, uh, Odorissi comes back and he finds the suit of armor and he finds out that they killed Olympio and he's in the cesspit. And he takes the suit of armor, puts it on. And even though he's really fat compared to Olympio, <laughs> yes. he sneaks into um, Olympio's wife's house, pretending to be Olympio uh, to get into bed with her. But then she's meanwhile, she's in bed with her lover and her or lover one hides. of them. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because hasn't she got. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot. There's a bit at the beginning of the film. Where she's got lovers hidden in barrels. Oh, they're they're stashed all around the house. Yes, I'd forgotten that. Yeah, <laughs> that's quite funny. Actually, I'd forgotten that bit. So yeah. Anyway, so she's got lovers on tap, um, <laughs> and when she realizes that it's not Olympio but it's Odorisi, one of these the lover jumps out and smacks him over the head, and they think they've killed him, and they dump him in the cesspit. Yep. And then we cut to inside the cesspit, and they're both alive, and annoyed. And they get out and they have a big fight in a river and they clean themselves up. And, and they, they call and a truce. They, they make common cause. Yeah, they call a truce and they realise that what they both want is each other's wives. Yep. Which seems fair enough. So they kind of suggest that what they should do is just have a swap. So, <laughs> Which is, which is uh, I would think of as a, a modern way of looking at this particular predicament that they found themselves yeah. in. But who knows? I'm I'm sure it was I'm sure it was fairly common whether it was acknowledged or not. Yeah, their wives don't get a say in it at all. No, well, well, that that would be that would have been true in Italy in 1972 as well as back in 14, 14th century. So yes. So um, they 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 swap their keys for the chastity belts, and they go on a picnic. And this is their great plan that they're going to sleep with each other's wives in the they're going to sort of split off into different fields and and of course that plan doesn't work either because it turns out the wives are game but they haven't given each other the right keys yes they've tried to cheat each other basically by giving them the wrong keys and there's a couple of funny scenes where the women are just lying there with their skirts up over their waists looking bored while the men are fiddling around with these keys trying to get the chastity belts off <laughs> Um, so they realise that they've both cheated each other and there's a, there's another fight at that point. And then they realise, they call a truce again, they realise they've got to, you know, do it properly. But then we see them both separately go and visit Master Ma- Maestro, Maestro? Yeah, Maestro Deodato, who uh, makes all these chastity belts. Yes. And could you describe for us rod the three different chastity belts that he demonstrates he's got some new ideas oh my god yes um well that well let's just say that uh some of them are more cruel than others uh Mm. some of them uh shall we say uh would allow for entry but only one time yeah Uh, yeah, and to demonstrate this he uses cucumbers (laughs) yes so that uh (laughs) so that we can we we can see how um uh Think, think, shall we say something would be removed from the yeah. penetrator? So, it's yes. pretty, pretty eye-watering. But the fact that one of them doesn't spring until you pull out seems pretty funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, like, so if these are supposed to protect chastity, they don't really quite... They don't got seem it the wrong to fit that bill, no. They, they seem no. to protect... Uh, 
uh, or, or, or they don't seem to protect much of much at all. Really. No, it's more about punishment. And you've got to feel sorry for the women who, well, let's not try and think too much about the physicality of what's going to happen there. But uh, yeah, so no. so anyway, so it turns out both of these men buy these things, and then <laughs> cut to shots of the outside of their houses at night, and we just hear the snap and a scream because they both bought the kind of the the guillotine uh chastity belt device yes. that only goes off when you pull out yes uh, and we hear it from both houses so uh, oh dear i mean really you'd just bleed to death and die right sure correct unless you immediately uh shall we say, uh, staunched the blood in one oh, of the most painful, especially at that, in that time period, you would have to uh, yeah. apply, uh, shall we say, <laughs> quite a bit of heat. Blug. Okay, so sorry for all the Im- sorry, sorry for the imagery that's now in all your heads, everybody. Um, cut to a church service and a, a choir of, a, a group of choir boys. <laughs> and the camera, the camera pans across and we've got two castrati, <laughs> both we've got Olympio and Odorisi singing their little hearts out, and, uh, singing the most high-pitched solos, whilst their wives are in the congregation singing and smiling at their lovers uh, across the church. Yes. The end. Yes, the end. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, that's it's hard because the plot is not really that important to the film it's more i mean the the act you know people franco he is funny and yeah. there's a lot of funny business going on as well as some quite offensive business going on so it's almost like the story itself is kind of secondary to what's happening on screen at any one time oh well the story is simply a clothesline on which they hang all these these comedic sequences that's all that's the yeah. only reason it exists is to get from yeah. one comedic piece to the next yeah. So what did you think of it overall? Um in general, definitely not my cup of tea. Um the the uh the, let's let's put it this way. It's th- this is the most not that you have not if you've listened to our conversation you're going to have surmised this already. These are the the the, the humor in this film is primarily we're talking like 85% just the crudest most lowbrow humor imaginable. It's broad, it's obvious. Um you're 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 going to uh, if if you're of if if you're beneath if you're if you're beneath the age of 25 maybe uh you're coming to this film some of these jokes are not going to be obvious if you're over the age of 30 you have seen or told every one of these jokes in one form or another simply because you're a human being working yeah. working around in the actual world around you and so these are the, the, the it's it's not difficult to anticipate where uh, any particular scene is going to go. It's the most obvious joke every time. Uh, and yeah. so it just boils down to how much you enjoy, well, this kind of comedy, a broad comedy of this type, whether you're uh, a game for uh, this type of humor. And if you feel that it that the people creating this comedy are pulling it off in a, in a way that... Uh, 
that is surprising or interesting or it has something that it brings to the table yeah. and no it, no pun intended there. <laughs> yeah yeah really well the, the the thing to me if i have to admit these are these these are not my kinds of films um yeah. the um the I, and by that i mean broad comedies uh the, the broad comedy in general if there's and this may be one of the reasons that italian comedies really don't work for me in general uh, is that the, the 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 funniest things to me are the ones where people are uh, um, are setting things up verbally, uh, and and there's some there's something going on behind the eyes as opposed to you know simply exterior humor. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it, it, and if you can if you can work a combination of those things where there's the, there's something extraordinarily funny being imparted verbally and something funny being done vi you know visually at the same time then to my mind you're hitting it out of the park but if you if you go too far in the direction of uh it all being incredibly obvious visual stuff then i have a tendency to kind of check out because i can see it all coming and it doesn't become funny to me it becomes laborious um yeah. this movie often gets in that it, it moves in that direction far too far too often there are an, there like i say there's about 15 percent of the humor in this movie that i actually i was actually uh laughing about that caught me off guard or made me think yeah. that uh, there was something going on behind the character's eyes that it wasn't uh just um you know like i say uh, a, a series of uh very obvious funny sequences being strung together uh, with with the uh with the intent of you know filling up 90 minutes but sure. uh so in general i'm not a fan of uh italian comedies this film doesn't change my mind about that it, it, <laughs> it, like i say i mean it wasn't dreadfully painful to watch but the 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 point the point during every sequence of uh of uh, high comedy when we're getting when it's really clear what is going to happen next it's like okay let's just come on come on get to it get to it yeah. get to it get to it see get i think it. i'm a bit more warm towards these kind of films because i was raised on the carry-on movies yeah and there's yeah. a lot of similarities um although the carry-on films never were never as sexy as this well no they, they wouldn't they would not have been allowed i'm sure a couple of names to mention but something i wanted to mention was the music for this film which i'm going to put some music into the podcast oh great that, score. The, the, yeah, the music is in my head on a loop. Do 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 over and over again all day today. Bruno Nicolai did the score and i think it's it's funny that it reminded me of um because they're kind of going for a middle age middle ages i should say yeah kind of vibe but then if you listen closely you can hear kind of whack a whack a guitar on it as well yes. so it's well, it's like it's middle a, ages it's, a comedy, so. it's very 70s <laughs> It reminded me of the music. I might put some of this in as well if I can find a suitable piece. Um, reminded me of the music from The Goodies, where, which is like whatever the music 
had to convey there is always whacka whacka guitar in the background <laughs> Runs like a tiger, jumps like a deer, and growls like a grizzly bear. Ten sharp toes, a little pink nose, covered all over with fur. A whole lot of cat. Kitten come. Kitten come. Kitten come. Look out, cause kitten come's gonna get you. Kitten come. That made me laugh. But yeah, the, the music is, is quite an earworm. You mentioned the producer of the film. I just thought we should mention it was actually, it was Luciano Martino. Yeah. And that's Sergio Martino's brother, right? Correct. Yeah. So he's responsible for loads of films that people are probably more familiar with. Um, yeah. So overall, well, we didn't even mention the name of the director of this one, Mariano Laurenti, who mainly did comedies that we've never heard of. <laughs> yes. Um, lots, lots and lots and with titles like Naughty Nun. Yeah, <laughs> and the nurse in the military madhouse. I mean, you know, yeah. you, you kind of get and the he, idea. He did a few with Edward Fenech. He, he did um, the school teacher goes to boys high and the the high school girl repeating class how to seduce your teacher. Real <laughs> real classics of the genre. Um, I wanted to just quickly mention one other film that I did get a chance to have a brief look at, called Una Cavalla Tutta Nuda, which translates as the All Naked Horse. This one is it stars Barbara Boucher, again, and someone else we know better for Jallo, who also appeared in a lot of these comedies. And this one is interesting because they spun a whole se- they a, they spun a whole feature film from one of the short stories that is actually in Decameron. Oh. And so there's a story in Decameron where I'm going to use the the Wikipedia summary to, just, to sort of describe it. Because Decameron's got some pretty weird stuff in it. It's mainly all about sex in one way or another. (laughs) So there's a couple who have um, a guest staying with them. And the guest somehow makes them believe that his horse is a woman. I think he says it's his wife or something. That he can basically turn her into a horse so that she can give him rides and do work for him and so on. And so the the husband and wife have a conversation together and they think, well, if he can turn me into a horse, she says, then I could sow the fields in the on the farm and work for you and it would be really great. So this husband and wife, they go and persuade this guy to turn her into a horse. So he says, OK, and it can only happen with a special spell. So the spell involves him stripping her naked in front of her husband making her get on her hands and knees like a horse and then he sort of chant makes incantations whilst touching her all over her body and telling her how each part of it is going to become 
part of a horse. <laughs> and then at the end, he says he's going to give her a tail. And you can probably imagine how he's going to give her a tail. It does come to mind, yeah. And then the, um, they, she's, I think they scream at that point. that She screams that she doesn't want a tail. And... <laughs> Uh, and then that's the end. And so he, he, you know, she gets off. She stands up, and he gets off. And the husband screams, and he says, "Well, now you're never going to be a horse. It won't work anymore." And that's the end of that. So that's just one of the sequences <laughs> in the Decameron. So with Una Cavalla Tutanuda, they've actually made a whole film comedy out of that, um, that one short story. So I was able to find a copy of this film. It's actually a very good quality print. But there are no um, subtitles at all. Oh. So, but I did manage to find that sequence where they um, have they recreate that story with Barbara Boucher. <laughs> so, what the rest of the film is about, I don't know. But there is a five-minute sequence where she is on her knees and he's doing the whole thing about turning her into a horse. So that's one that I did find that is directly connected to Decameron. But there are so many others. I've just got a few titles here that I'm going to mention of some of the fake Decameron films. So there, I already mentioned there was Decameron 2. Um, there's... Which is which is the one that Pasolini sued. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I think Camille Keaton was in that one. There was a Decameron 3, also known as Boccaccio's Most Beautiful Women. Um there was one called Secret Decameron or Pranks, License and Love from the Secret Decameron. Oh, and we should we should point out that, that we should point out to people that the reason there were so many knockoffs of uh, Pasolini's film is is <laughs> these things made a lot of money. Oh, absolutely. I mean, a because lot of money. I think these were the this was the beginning of the sexy comedy genre in Italy. It, it does. It does seem with, to have kind of yeah. jump started it in a way. Yeah. They started with these and then got into the more contemporary ones, like the school teacher and, and so on. Mm-hmm. But this was the sort of this was where they realised that they could put sex and comedy together, and quite explicit sex and comedy together. So yeah, you've got Hot Nights from Decameron, um, uh, Decameron Probitissimo. Uh, oh, there's loads. I won't read them all out because it's painful to hear me say them probably. But so that's just the ones that are directly inspired by Decameron. So meanwhile, of course, Pasolini is prepping on his next film the following year, which is going to be Canterbury Tales. So and some people knew that he also had Arabian Nights up his sleeve. So the Italian film industry being so quick, they started getting ready so yeah. they were ready to, to to leap on that and bring out Canterbury Tales films and Arabian Nights films. So in our next episode, we're going to hit the Canterbury Tales. So that's um, that's the plan. Is we'll we'll look at that. And um, there's a couple of Canterbury Tales films that I found that we can pick <laughs> between. So, um, but yeah, I just think it's interesting that they, again, is this the sex comedy? The Italian sex comedy is is a tough genre, and if you're not Italian. Yeah, but I think looking at it from the perspective of the Decameron is kind of an interesting way in. Uh, so hope, well, hopefully, it's an interesting way in. Well, I find it fascinating just as as a as a way of looking at uh, the history of this particular of just the exploitation stuff produced in Italy. I mean, this is uh, 
this is a big part. This is a part that, in general, those of us who are much more interested in thrillers and horror movies and and uh, that that type of filmmaking, we, we tend to ignore. Uh, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of crossover, not just in the people who made them, but also the actors and, of course, yeah. all the people involved in these things. I mean, um, the, 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 you singled out the score for good reason because I, I know Bruno Nicolai from from a blue bajillion uh, scores mm. for lots of different movies from westerns and thrillers and, and horror movies. Yeah. And that's just, I, I think he's, he's phenomenal. And the, the, I would never run across this score at the very least. Uh, if I took nothing else from this film, uh, having run across that score, which you're right is, it can be quite an earworm that that's a plus, but yeah. by ignoring this, this bizarre thread of, of sex comedies, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm never going to be a gigantic fan uh, of the the genre as as a whole, but it is interesting to kind of do a survey over them and 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 look at them as what they were because they do tend to feed into the stuff that we love as well in ways that, honestly, if you're not looking at them at least a little bit, it's invisible to you, and it's it's a yeah. good idea to get a to get a sample of them to kind of understand what was uh, what, what was kind of going on around all the things that you love more. Sure, I mean, just looking at Bruno Nicolai in a two year period around this film, um, he also did the Red Queen, Kill Seven Times, Your mm-hmm. Vice Is a Locked Room, um, Case of the Bloody Iris, The French Sex Murders, All the Colors of the Dark. Uh, she killed in ecstasy. Right. The night evening came out of the grave. The case of the scorpions tell that. I mean, I'm not reading all of them. That's just some of the ones that he did in that sort of two year period. Um, just like so many of the Italian people you know, working in that in the industry at that time, just they just never stopped. It's quite amazing the amount of work that they, the, the sort of level of work that they were at all the time. Well, I have to say that uh, at first I was I was honestly leery about diving into these things because uh, I, I don't have the affection for them that I have for a lot of the other genre stuff produced in Europe in the in this period. But at the same time, now I'm very glad that you have simply because anything that uh, inflates my knowledge, anything that gives me any more information to play around with in this stuff is is a is a is a big positive as far as I'm concerned. Anything that okay. helps me to look at this with a, a fresh perspective. And uh, so that I'm, you know, I'm hoping that other people take, take that away from this as well, where it's yeah. uh, you, you might, you definitely aren't going to sit down and do two or three, two or three of these uh, in the course of a day, because you would, you would quickly uh, bang your head against the nearest table, uh, at least yeah. if you're of my sensibilities, but at the same yes. time, a, a, a sampling of them every now and then, you know, like you say, this this kind of mini, uh, this kind of, uh, kind of mini series that we're planning here is a good idea because it does it does enhance what you sure. uh, what you know about the the other stuff that you enjoy more. And your dreams will never be the same again. Well, I have I have had reoccurring uh, uh, dreams of a certain type about. <laughs> At which for uh, decades now, and so yes, they, they they now have a different tinge. I'll grant you that yeah. they, they now involve the occasional chastity belt, so that's not bad. Yeah, that's true. And on that note, I think <laughs> <laughs> we'll say thank you for listening, and um, do come back next time for uh, some Canterbury Tales chat. Um, Rod, thank you for once again diving into the world of Italian comedy for me. Glad I greatly appreciate it. it. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We will talk to you all again soon. Bye. Bye. Very good. Oh, quite musical at the end there as well.
Oh, well, I, I didn't. I didn't mean to. It just happened that That's way. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey. It's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.